The thing about life in lockdown is that it really makes you appreciate the world outside your window. I'm noticing the green of the trees and the songs of the birds and the blue of the sky. Everything is heightened. Has lockdown provided us all with an opportunity to reevaluate our relationship with the planet? Best case scenario, Manveen, would be we wake up. We wake up and we realize that we want to do life differently because all of the things, the simple things that really matter to us are fundamentally being threatened because of how we do life. Will we be able to balance the need for industry to reopen and our desire to travel while reducing our global footprint? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today... COVID-19 and the natural world with Liz Bonin. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I always say that, you know, people wait for the afterlife to get to paradise, but the paradise is here and it is more astounding than you can possibly imagine. And I'm just one little person on this planet who's, who's been so lucky to have been given this opportunity to see a tiny bit of it and to experience what that feels like as a human. As a celebrated wildlife documentary presenter, Liz Bonin used to travel the world, filming in far-flung places, It was while she was on assignment for the BBC that something happened that changed her life forever. Oh, there was a seminal moment while filming Drowning in Plastic. Even though I'd researched all the stories, the first place we went to was Lord Howe Island in the middle of the Tasman Sea, and we filmed these flesh-footed shearwater chicks. They stay in their burrows for three months and they are fed by their parents in the burrows. And after three months, around April, in the darkness of night, their instincts tell them, right, it's time to emerge and it's time for me to take off and migrate north to the Sea of Japan. And for about two weeks, all of these chicks emerge and then off they go. Well, uh, we've measured this one and weighed him and now we're doing the final step, which is uh, lavaging, which is basically gently pumping a bit of water into the stomach and getting him to vomit into the basin. And we join these scientists who are now, in the, in, during that period in April, grabbing the chicks and wash out their stomachs with um, sterile seawater. And all that's coming out of their stomachs is plastic. Easy fella. Right, pumping. Yeah. Oh, And look sheep. at that. Stomach full of plastic. One, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, look at that. Yeah, the size of that piece. Sharp too. And I'd researched this, right? So I knew what I was about to see. But I had this life-altering outer body experience watching this chick after chick after chick. 20 pieces coming out, 30 pieces coming out. 
Oh, look at that. Man. Is this, on average, what you find? About 20 pieces? How, how much do you normally um, find? I think the record's about 260. That's a really bad bird. In a chick? In a chick, yeah. And I swear it was like I saw our whole human history flash in front of my eyes in one split second. Who we are, how we've evolved, the Industrial Revolution, how we've decided to live our lives on this planet, what we do to even the most remote species in the, in the middle of nowhere on this blue planet of ours and how it affects them. These helpless chicks that haven't even had a chance at life are being inadvertently fed to death by their parents because there's so much plastic in the ocean. And it just was like a big smack in the face. And I know that's changed me forever. Ugh, I'm in shock. I mean, I, I knew there was a plastic problem. It's just when you see... You see it firsthand, yeah. yeah. My head's spinning already and it's our first chick. Yeah. Now we're all in lockdown and I was just wondering if you'd been able to go for your daily walk today. What's that like for you at the moment? What do you notice about the natural world and how it's changed? Um, I'm sure I'm not the I'm not alone in saying this. Um, first of all, I'm very fortunate that although I live in London, I have Hyde Park Kensington Gardens on my doorstep and it has been my absolute sanity <laughs> for the last month. You're not alone. I think we've all felt that. What does your daily dose of sanity look like? So I take myself into the park um, in the morning and the weather has been so great, you know, recently. And because runners tend to still not fully understand the two metre distancing rule, I've decided to walk amongst the trees and I found all these new paths amongst all these incredible old trees. So it really does feel like I'm more, in, you know, in the middle of nature and almost in the countryside in certain areas. So I've discovered new parts of the park I didn't even know existed. Now, I'm no expert, but I feel like I'm noticing the world around me so much more than I normally would. For Liz, those daily walks are an important moment to reconnect with nature. I'm noticing the green of the trees and the, the songs of the birds and the blue of the sky, probably because the air is so much cleaner. I can really, it's palpable here in London, you know. But everything is heightened. This morning, I spent about five minutes. I know you're not really supposed to stop, but I spent about five minutes just breathing in the perfume of this white rose. And I just, it just made me so happy. I think we're all the same here in, in recognising or appreciating or acknowledging or just, just experiencing nature in a much more heightened way at the moment. It's just sort of this natural instinct of ours, I suppose, through all of this mess that we just inherently need and want to be more connected to nature than ever, I think. I'm, I'm certainly experiencing that anyway. Goats are conquering empty streets in a British village. What a strange picture to us humans who are used to only seeing ourselves governing the world. Could the corona crisis eventually be good for the environment? Satellite Since the outbreak of coronavirus, we've seen a remarkable reversal in the health of the planet, with the waters in Venice running clear for the first time in living memory, animals reclaiming the streets, and the air pollution in China dropping by roughly 30%. But how long will this progress last? 
Well, exactly. I mean, that is a very good question. And as much as we are seeing reductions in all sorts of air pollutants, like particulate matter and nitrogen dioxide and carbon monoxide and carbon dioxide, all of these are short-term changes, unfortunately. And air quality is a very different thing to climate. So as much as our air quality has improved, it's short-lived and it's certainly not sustainable. We can't live our lives in lockdown in order for the planet to recover. And, you know, there are concerns that once lockdown is lifted, that the very industries that are, you know, responsible for many of these air pollutants will sort of get back into business at full throttle to try and, you know, sort of recoup some of their financial losses, etc. This national effort will be underpinned by government interventions in the economy on a scale unimaginable only a few weeks ago. We're also working with the industries, including the airline industry, the uh, cruise ship industry, which obviously will be hit. Uh, we're working with them very, very strongly. We want them to uh, travel. We want people to travel. This is not a time for ideology and orthodoxy. This is a time to be bold. There's a really good analogy by a scientist called Catherine Hayhoe that I came across a few weeks ago who says that, you know, the problem with climate change and what's happening to our climate is a cumulative effect. Imagine just bricks upon bricks building up on a big pile since the Industrial Revolution. And if, because of COVID-19, this year we add a brick to that that's only three quarters of the size of all the other bricks climate change is still a problem, right? The cumulative effect over decades and decades has still created this environmental crisis. And I think it's a nice way to think about it. So as much as we know the air is cleaner right now, we know full well that that's not going to be sustainable. Is there anything that you think will stick? Will any of these changes outlast the lockdown? Well, I find hope in all of this mess, I suppose, in behavioural change. And, you know, I, I'm a biologist. I would love to present programmes on animal behaviour and how animals interact in social groups. I mean, that's what I started out doing. And very quickly over the last sort of four or five years, I've been thrown into the deep end with regards to, you know, making environmental films. And I've had to sort of pull up my socks and learn a lot more about how we live on this planet and why it's affecting us so badly. And what I've seen that really is heartening for me is this change in behavior by individuals. So we are changing how we're doing life. So for example, we're doing this interview remotely. People are not commuting to and from work. And once the lockdown is lifted, I'd love to see that this is partly the new normal for us and all of those sort of different ways of, of doing life will absolutely help us to mitigate climate change. So the hope is that we learn from this outbreak in a way that could help the planet in the future. But were there previous outbreaks or, or events that we could have learned from which, which would have better prepared us for this? This virus emerged from a wild area in Asia because of our manipulation or destruction of wild habitats, which means that these viruses tend to move through a population or move through different species much more quickly. 
There are issues with the wildlife trade, legal and and mismanaged wildlife trade and wildlife markets. You've heard about, you know, the fact that potentially we're not completely sure yet, but that this virus came from bats and may have moved to an intermediary host and then moved on to us. And it's thought that these wildlife markets play a role because they bring all of these different species into close contact um, and potentially, you know, increase the risk of a virus moving from its natural host onto another host and then onto ourselves. And it's not just in, it's not just in Asia. A lot of scientists are saying that um, the Lagos wildlife markets are like a ticking time bomb when it comes to potential diseases emerging again and causing epidemics or pandemics as well. And we've known this for many, many years now. I mean, think of Ebola and SARS and West Nile virus. We've known this for a long time. That's what sort of concerns me. In 2007, a paper was written about the fact that after SARS, there was a sort of a SARS-COVID-like reservoir in bats just waiting to emerge. And we've been talking about this a lot. And yet we are still living our lives in a way that increases the risks of us getting even more of these diseases. And I think the one big lesson that, you know, out of all of this is that we have to change the way we live. We've got to wake up to, to some of the signals that Mother Nature is giving us. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Take me back to a time before coronavirus. I mean... You've travelled all over the world and seen some amazing sights of natural beauty. What are the ones that stay with you? What are the ones that you think about now when you're stuck inside? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so many, Manveen. I've been very lucky. And even, you know, obviously before COVID-19, I hasten to add that I made a decision to cut down drastically on my filming projects and my flying <laughs> for obvious reasons. But I did say to a friend of mine, you know, yesterday, gosh, I, I miss going on my adventures. You know, I miss seeing the incredible beauty of the natural world. And I think the ones that come to mind are Botswana, 
um, spending time in the company of an elephant herd for about two, three hours in the evening. We'd finished filming a story on zebra migrations and as the sun was beginning to set, we could see a, a herd of elephants in the distance slowly making their way down to the watering hole that we were parked beside. So we turned off our engines and just sat there very, very quietly. And for literally two to three hours, we just watched them, you know, drinking and the babies playing around the mums. And then slowly they just disappeared into the purple, the deep purple sunset and twilight. And I think there was four of us in the cars and none of us spoke for those two, three hours. We just looked and breathed and spent time in this majesty uh, of a scene and at the end of that when they disappeared into the blackness you know we just looked at each other with tears in our eyes and we still couldn't speak I mean it's not lost on me how utterly privileged I've been to experience nature like that and it changes you spiritually almost you know I don't know about you but with my just my close circle of friends who aren't necessarily obsessed about science and nature like I am, you know, they're, they're saying things about the, this new experience and how they're connecting with their family and how, you know, they're noticing the sparkle in the green of the trees and the sunlight that they've never had before, that there's a shift going on. We're, we're getting back to our roots with respect to what's important. There's a shared humanity that maybe hasn't been experienced for a while that hopefully will serve to help us all to protect the planet better, you know? This is an emergency. People are already suffering and dying from the consequences of the climate and environmental emergency. But it will get worse. World leaders are behaving like children. So it falls on us to be the adults in the room. I will not stand aside and watch. I will not be silent while the world is on fire. Will you? How about the politics? We've seen a rise in the popularity of groups like Extinction Rebellion. We've seen Greta Thunberg's campaign spreading across the globe. Green policies suddenly seem to be on the agenda for a number of governments. How much do you think that momentum could be damaged by the coronavirus crisis? Will priorities change now? OK, look, we're going through a really difficult time and that's underestimating, you know, exactly what's going on. I mean, we know how terrible the situation is and how difficult it's been for so many people around the world in all different walks of life. But we also have an incredibly pressing crisis nipping at our heels, potentially more deadly than COVID-19. In fact, most scientists would say it categorically more deadly than COVID-19. I mean, if we get to three degree, four degree C increase in temperatures compared to pre-industrial times, you know, we, we won't be able to grow food. It's pretty much, I mean, I can't say game over, but it's a pretty serious situation, right? So, it's overwhelming to think that once we get over this and recover from this, that it's still there and it is as urgent, if not more urgent, in order for us to, to survive on this planet. So shame on us if we sort of turn our backs on that. But do you worry that if we come out of all of this in a big economic recession, then the environment just won't be a priority for governments anymore? Well, yeah, I do worry. I mean... 
you know, all countries are talking about stimulus packages at the moment and how they're going to reboot the economy. And any expert I've spoken to, you know, is talking about if we make the same mistake as the 2008 crisis and we reboot in the same way. So in other words, we bail out gas and oil and we pump money into carbon intensive industries like like construction which is what you know a few countries are already planning to i mean canada is planning to spend on on bailing out the gas and oil companies china is planning to go on this big building spree and just talk of these vouchers to to encourage people to buy cars and airlines looking for bailouts so this is kind of one of the most absurd things about all of this if we still, after COVID-19, choose to reboot the economy in the same way, I mean, that I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we can possibly make. It is absolutely clear that our current economic model is not sustainable, encourages this rampant, unrestrained pattern of production and consumption, and we're going to be in the same mess continued risks of pandemics, with climate change, the threat of climate change ever increasing, with continued biodiversity loss. It's, it's clear and obvious how we run the world at the moment is not conducive to us living on it sustainably and healthily and, and doesn't give any of us a chance to thrive. Everyone says the world will be different after coronavirus, but what might that look like? In Milan, they've decided to reduce the number of cars on the streets so that they can keep air pollution down even after the lockdown is lifted. Liz is particularly struck by the example of Amsterdam, where they're adopting an economic model devised by the Oxford academic Kate Rayworth. She's a, an economist, and I don't know whether you saw in the news, she wrote this book called Donut Economics, about sort of designing an economic model that's fit for the 21st century. So, in other words, designing a model where people can thrive, but also the planet thrives alongside it. You know, the two of us are inextricably linked. Uh, you can't have a healthy human without a healthy planet. And she is applying this donut economics model to Amsterdam. And it's the first city in the world to do so because Amsterdam wants to learn from this pandemic. So how does that work? Basically, you have to redesign the economy and rather than focusing on growth, you model it on, well... It's basically a donut and the inner ring is sort of where it denotes the minimum that we all need to lead a, a good life. And that includes health and food and water and gender equality and, and, a, and a political voice, all of those good things that a society needs to be able to thrive and do well. The model uses standards agreed by the UN as the minimum we need to live a decent life. If you fall below those standards, then you've fallen into the hole at the centre of the donut. And Amsterdam is determined that all of its citizens will live above that level. And then the outer ring of the donut is all the sort of the ecological ceiling, they call it. So in other words, it's boundaries across which we shouldn't go because otherwise we're going to damage the natural world and therefore we're going to damage ourselves. So that means, you know, air pollution, climate change, biodiversity loss, all of that stuff. So the outer boundary is set by scientists and it calculates where the environmental cost of our economic actions is too high and does too much damage to the natural world. So the sweet spot is when you're operating between the two, the nice doughy bit of the doughnut. Here, you'd only introduce policies which allow citizens to thrive economically, but without ruining the environment. And then the, the, the middle of the doughnut is where all of that works beautifully and we can really do well. 
But if we shortfall on certain things, we go inside the ring, then humanity suffers. And if we go outside the ring, then the, the planet suffers. And, and the whole premise is we live in a society where all of our needs are met and all of the planet's needs are met and that we have a responsible stewardship of all of the planet's natural resources in order to make it all tick over. And we can still thrive and we can still have businesses and it's still called an economy, but it's done completely connected to the planet. So it brings in again this whole concept of or discipline of planetary health. We manage the planet, we manage our home, and therefore we can thrive. That's what I'm interested in. And I'm, I'm really keen to see how that progresses. And you know that, that ripple effect I was talking about. Why don't we give it a try? Environmentally, for you, what does a best case scenario look like? How does all of this end post-lockdown? Oh, that's a, that's a big question. Best case scenario. I mean, you're right. I think people have recognised what really matters are the really simple things. Our health, our family, a sense of community, you know, just the basics. And then we've also realised who's really important in our society. Healthcare workers and food suppliers, people who are classically underpaid and underappreciated. So best case scenario, Manveen, would be we wake up. We wake up and we realise that we want to do life differently because all of the things, the simple things that really matter to us are fundamentally being threatened because of how we do life. I think I've got heritage from literally every continent on the planet. You know, I've got Indian, Portuguese, Chinese, African, Caribbean, Indian, Welsh, would you believe, somewhere? I've always felt, because of my heritage, but also because of what I do for a job as a conservationist, I just see this tiny, precious, beautiful little rock suspended in this vast universe that, through all sorts of improbable events, got to create the most glorious, habitable, beautiful space for all of these wondrous species to evolve. And I see us just as this one lucky little species, just sharing it with all these others. There's no us and them. We're all, we're all in this together. And yet, this is what we're doing to it. And it's very difficult to reconcile that or to actually understand why we chose to go down this path. And here we are in 2020, living through the most catastrophic event since World War II, you know, to have affected us all as a species. And I, I despair because it can be so different so easily as well now. We've always had everything in our power to live a, a life where everyone can thrive and every species can. But now, even despite the mess that we've made, we've got all the technology and all the science to solve it. And still, we don't seem to be quite able to to wake up to that, and it, and it does drive me nuts. But then again, I've also travelled around the world and met the most extraordinary human beings who are, you know, working 24-7 to protect our natural world because they understand it. There is still, there's still hope for us, but gosh, we're cutting it fine. You know, sometimes it feels like we've crossed a line we can't come back from. So yeah, imagine, Manveen, we wake up and we 
decide to do life differently so that everyone can benefit and we have a healthy planet so the animals benefit, the plants benefit. That's the best case scenario, isn't it? You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Liz Bonin. The producer today was Ben Mitchell, the executive producer is Leo Hornack, and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. You can subscribe for free. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. Also, in these uncertain times, you can keep up to date and well informed on coronavirus and so much more every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.